From then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on kindness, compassion, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against the other, forgive each other. For just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. But above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And may these words, which once transformed the early church's heart, transform our hearts as well. So yes, this is Ask the Pastor Sunday. And you know, it's, it's always a good thing, and I love to do it, partly because after 37 years in the ministry, it's good to be anxious and nervous when preaching again. It really is. And every summer, I feel like that sort of you know, discomfort beginning to rise up. So it's really, um, it's good and a joy to do that. I also love it because it gives me a chance to respond more informally to questions you may have had, you have. And the, quest, and the word respond is the operative word. I won't answer these questions. I'll respond to them. You've heard me say this, I think, before at some of the Ask the Pastors. Um, Jesus was not an answering Messiah. He only answers, by the way, in the Gospels, six or seven questions. And depends on how you look at how they're asked. But what Jesus does is ask 305 questions of us. He asks more questions than he ever responds to. And so one of the things that I always keep in mind when I hear, when I'm about to receive these questions is to love the faith. This is by the poet Wilkie. To love the faith is to love the questions. And so I invite Kathy Vega, our moderator, to um, ask some questions. Easy ones always are well appreciated. <laughs> well, there's been a lot of great questions asked, so I went through and looked at them. There are some themes that are coming okay. up. So um, I'm going to give you one uh, to start off. What was the most memorable event or occasion, sightseeing, dinner, sermons, etc.? that you had in your visit to England with the quick follow-up of how long does it take to get a British accent? Ah, very, very good question. What, what was the most memorable moment in, in our journey to England? We were there 28 days, four weeks exactly, and it'd be impossible to tell you what was the most memorable moment. Claire put it best when she said, at the end of like seven or eight different days, she said, Today was just as amazing as yesterday, and yesterday was amazing, and we know tomorrow will be. We did so many wonderful things. And I'll say, I'll say a little bit about some of those things in just a moment, but the British accent thing is, is something that's worth lifting up because there are some things we discovered by not being tourists. Remember, we were part of the community of Jason's congregation. We lived in the parsonage, the church manse, for, those, for 25 of those 28 days. We were part of the rhythm and pattern of the town of Otley, which is where Jason's larger congregation is. We, um, we also discovered some things by being not tourists, but part of the community. And one of those things is, it's always good to remember how boundaried or sort of insular I am. After my first Sunday in Otley, a lovely um, older lady came up to me afterwards and she said, lovely service, she said, but I couldn't understand a word you said because of your accent. <laughs> my accent, I thought, I'm the only one here without one. 
But I realized it's the same thing to them as they think we drive on the wrong side of the road. But really, that's what she said. I couldn't understand a word you said because of your accent. And so it was really good to sort of be aware of, you know, what becomes sort of boundaried. Though I wanted to say to her, I speak English as God intended English to be spoken. But I didn't think that would be a, a savvy or pastoral response. But that, that also led into what um, we discovered about ourselves, but I guess we knew this, but to be in a different community reinforced it, is that we are hardwired for community. We are. It was, that's what made the experience so beautiful, is that we would pass people on the street or someone would stop me on my morning walk and say, oh, wasn't the service lovely su Sunday? And, and Claire would see someone or I would see someone in Wegmans, the butcher shop. And we, um, we embraced being part of that. And to be embraced as well was something that was a great sort of rediscovery of something I guess I knew about myself and Claire knew as well, is that we are hardwired to be part of a faith community. It is what gives meaning to the rhythm and pattern of our lives. But we also embraced the Yorkshire spirit because it rains quite a bit there. By the way, if you're, how many people are fans of all creatures great and small? All right. The veterinary practice we actually we went to, it is only 25 minutes from where Jason lives, the actual veterinary practice of Alf White. James Harriet was his pen name, long story, but he, um, it, that's exactly what it looks like. The dales are just these rolling hills, you know, divided up into grazing fields for sheep by these beautiful dry wall, stone wall, dry stone walls. It is idyllic and pastoral. And every time you came around a curve or came over a hill, you saw yet another beautiful setting. And so Claire and I every day went for hikes. Those were, those were wonderful. We went to all these small towns. We explored Yorkshire day in and day out. Um, we went to castles and churches. And maybe one of the more memorable nights was we went to an abandoned abbey. Henry VIII destroyed all the abbeys in, in, 15, in the 1530s. But this was an abbey built in the 12th century. It's just this atmospheric rune, and there's this beautiful sky in the background, and we went to um, Outdoor Shakespeare right there at Bolton Abbey and saw Twelfth Night. It was astonishing, but it also rained during the service, I mean during the, during the play. That's the Yorkshire spirit. It rains a lot there. You know what people do when it rains? They put up their hoods. That's what they do. They put up their hoods. They don't stop anything. I would see people walking their children to school because school was still in session the first, through the first week of July. And they'd be holding hands with a young child walking in reasonably hard rain without an umbrella, just with their raincoat and their wellies on. Life went on. It was marvelous. And Claire said, and maybe this was the best thing we took away, she said, I don't know if I'll ever leave an event in the rain again. So we had an astonishing journey, and it was, a, in a sense, a pilgrimage, I guess, but we loved being a part of the community, but I will tell you, we love even more being back. Wow, that sounds like a fantastic experience. It was. Um, okay, so the next question is a little bit more, well, it's, it's thought-provoking. Okay. So, what are the opportunities and challenges to preach to a congregation that has diverse perspectives? 
what are the opportunities and challenges uh, of preaching to a congregation of diverse perspectives? And I'm imagining whoever wrote that is in reference to our congregation, both here, online, and um, yes, there are challenges and opportunities to that. And there's actually a lot of talk among clergy. There's been a fair number, quite a bit of writing going on along about what they call purple churches. They're not red or blue, but they're a mixture. Our motto is, of course, diverse in thought, united in Christ. That, in, in many respects, is both the opportunity and the challenge of preaching to a congregation of diverse perspectives. We have in our congregation diverse theological perspectives. We have diverse political perspectives. But we still walk together in Christ. And maybe one of the, the really, you know, now that you, that question is asked so concretely, one of the things that we just experienced was about 10 minutes ago when Meredith was walking around the congregation during joys and concerns. Joys and concerns come, you know, you've heard me quote the Apostle Paul who says, we weep with those who weep, we rejoice with those who rejoice. That's exactly what it means to preach with a congregation of diverse perspectives. What we do share in is, and what we are united by, is that we are united in the fact that we walk together in Christ. That we do not always necessarily agree on how that gets lived out. But in the congregational tradition, we believe that the congregation is on earth, the highest authority on earth. Of course, Christ is the head and the cornerstone of the church, but on earth, the congregation together, faithfully, as faithfully as they can, but yet imperfectly, discerns who God is calling us to be. And so you bring all that together, and we realize that we do have different perspectives on some of the same issues, but we are in some respects not only united in Christ, but united in our in our agreement, our covenant is the best word, to bear one another's burdens in Christ's name. That's what we share during joys and concerns, our burdens, our joys, and that we share those together. And I think that's part of the joy, part of the opportunity, but it's also part of the challenge because people regularly have sat with any one of your clergy, all three of us, they've sat with us when they have been uncomfortable or disagreed with something that might be going on as a conversation in the life of the church. And we listen to each other. Not only do we listen to them, we know that we're listened to as well. And so that's part and parcel of what it means to also preach to a congregation that will never be unanimous in one voice. And in fact, if we were, then we would simply be on, in either direction, a political action committee, and nobody wishes to be that. We wish to be a community of faith gathered in Christ's name. And now the history question. Oh, good, excellent. Um, the lamppost on the front lawn. Who is Mrs. Brown? And uh, then the follow-up question is, do the church bells work? And if they do, why don't we ring them? Ah, do the, okay, very good. That's an interesting question. First off, about the lamppost out front, and then on the church bells, and they're not bells, but I'll come to that. Um, the lamppost, I don't know, I've tried to look up many, many times who Mrs. F.A. Brown is, but it says, uh, um, given by Mrs. F.A. Brown, and that's when the church was built in 1929, um, and it 
that, so I know nothing about her. I've actually looked it up a few times because I was one, wondered. Oh, the first organ, we had, an, we had a plaque that was on the first organ before this one was, was put in the 1970s. There was a plaque that said, given by Horace and Minnie Stocker. Um, and the Stockers remained members of this congregation until just a couple of years ago, uh, the generations of Stockers. So that was the one that we, we could track down. But as for the bells, um, uh, Kathy, could you, at the end of the service, uh, play you know the, the, the tune outside, just a couple of notes on the bell tower afterwards, or is that not working anyway? It's over here is the switch. There's a bell tower, as you well know. There are speakers out there. And so there are bell, there are chimes right in there that Kathy can play, and they're, but they're projected through the speakers in the bell tower. There are no bells up there. We'll see if we can figure that out. The switch is over there to, uh, to, to play them outside. That's an odd question. It's my first time at this. I'm still yeah. learning. I may get some feedback out of <laughs> Um, I think we have time for one quick, sure. um, I don't know if it's quick actually, uh, but uh, why do some churches use debts and other use, others use trespasses in the Lord's Prayer? Ah, why do some use debts and debtors, some use trespasses and trespassers and trespasses, and some use um, sins and sinners, okay? Um, all three are equally correct, and all three are not exactly biblical. You can look up, you know, Google, if you wish, the Lord's Prayer in, the, in Scripture, and in in especially the, the version that appears in the Gospel of Matthew, and what it really is, is sort of, it conflates a couple of the different, the Lord's Prayer conflates a couple of the different prayers taught to them by Jesus, which we which we use as the Lord's Prayer. And the trespasses and trespassers, debts and debtors, um, if you think about it, they're sort of legal and banking terms. And they come out of the, um, um, the about the, during the time of the, um, the King James Bible, which was in um, 1611, I think, when it was actually finally brought to the Church of England at the time. But they, um, they were the language of, of what the, the people who translated the, the Bible from Greek into the King James Version, and um, some traditions used it as sort of statement of trespasses and trespassers, is sort of legalistic about don't come over my, my boundary, but what it talks about is sin is, is stepping away from God, stepping over the boundary outside of God's, um, you know, purview and stepping back in and being forgiven of the sins that we have committed and forgiven by God and forgiving of each other of the sins that are committed against us and the trespasses com committed against us. The debts come out of an understanding of um, a theological understanding of the atonement that is Jesus' death on the cross. The debts and debtors piece was Jesus died really to pay our debt of sin for humanity. And so the forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors, that is those who've sinned against us. But we ask God to forgive us for our sins and then to give us the strength or the wisdom to forgive those who have sinned against us. 
many congregations use, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us because it seems so much clearer to them and um, in, a, in language that is more accessible and doesn't have sort of a 400-year-old um, tradition behind it. But the debts and debtors one in particular has to do with the atonement in Jesus paying the debt of our sin. And, and then the, the trespasses and trespassers one was uh, the understanding of sin as stepping away from or turning away from God, turning outside of God. And the scriptures also have in Greek a word metanoia, which is the turning of your heart and to turn your heart back to God if you've stepped outside the boundary or over the boundary um, of sin. Well, that's all I have. Okay. <laughs> all right. Thank well, you very much. That was awesome. And amen. <laughs>